Hello, everyone, and welcome to Minute 29 of Season 4 of Movie Rob Minute, the daily podcast where we take a hilarious and poignant journey through the 1989 Billy Crystal Meg Ryan rom-com, When Harry Met Sally, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me again today is Alan Sanders of the Marriage Fit Podcast and of the Wilder Ride and of the Alan Sanders Show. Welcome back to the show, Alan Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm a little dyslexic, or no, a little, uh, what am I? I'm a little, uh, I don't even know what I am. I'm a, I'm a little torn. I got so many different voices in my head from all those different shows because everyone's completely different. So anyway, yeah, it means there's something for anybody. That For anybody or everybody? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> some things some things are not for everybody. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> exactly. Well, it's for everybody when you're trying to train them to think in a different way. Uh, That's true. I think everyone should give them a try. <laughs> there you go. That's the way it works. <laughs> but anyway, no, seriously, thanks for having me back. I, uh, I, as you know, I thoroughly enjoy not only uh, sharing ideas and thoughts, but looking at movies. That's right. And you, you love the fact that I just throw curveballs at you all the time. You do. I, I, it's like a challenge. I write down to myself. I'm like, okay, based on everything in this minute, what could he possibly ask me? That I can't, I, I can't plan for, and you somehow manage to do it every minute. That's the fun of it. I think people. I, 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 I actually think that there are people have told me that one of the things they love about listening to the show is that, you know, you know, how can I surprise my guests with with things that they didn't expect, you know? So, and and and, and everyone comes on knowing that there's this possibility. You know, it's I not know. as if I know. <laughs> I mean, this isn't my first idea, and I have five chances on the week I'm here, but this is, what, the fourth or fifth project I've helped you with or been a guest on, and you still throw me. That's right. But that and that means it's working. It means, yeah, it you, means know you, what? I haven't been you able never to, get bored. I can't, I can't <laughs> figure out how you think. That's, a, that's how it is. You and my wife, two things in common. I can't figure out how you think. You think Susan would do things like this? I don't think so. No, no, she would do something different, but I still can't figure out how she thinks either. <laughs> okay. But you don't need to think about it. You don't need to know how I think. You just have to go with the flow and enjoy the conversation. That's true. Now, I, now let me ask you this. this is a tr because you do this with every guest, have you had a guest who has been so taken off guard that they've told you, I, I just can't do it. I can't, I can't be – I don't like looking like I don't know things, and you make me feel like I, I should know stuff that I don't know. Has anybody like, had a negative reaction? Um, not per se the way you mentioned it, but someone got upset at me afterwards that we spent way too much time talking about a topic that was completely off topic okay, because <laughs> I brought something up because there was a license plate that we had a 20 minute or I had a, a 20 minute conversation about things related to that license plate. Um, actually it wasn't even a license plate. It was, it was a triangle on the back of a car, but you know, <laughs> And and therefore, and this was someone that 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 I didn't invite back for the next season because I thought he didn't want to. And then I spoke to him, and he told me that he still loves listening to it, and you know he will be back this season, which is why I'm not going into too much detail as to what gotcha. I'm talking about. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I, and you know what? That's the beauty of these, this niche, this market of looking at movies a minute at a time, or some people have done it five minutes at a time, or ten minutes, whatever they choose, whatever they're how it's evolved. Everyone's got their own kind of style, and it just makes it so much fun to see how does someone else approach a movie that we all know. 
Right, but that's also one of the reasons why Jim does what he does, you know, where he's doing these group projects to let everyone get a little taste of the different ways that people do it. I mean, this is probably a good time to give a little plug. You know, right now it's the beginning of February, but at uh, actually right now it just started. I think it started at the beginning of February, if I remember correctly, or maybe just beginning the beginning of March. You know, Jim O'Kane just did just debuted his sixth season uh, or sixth. Uh, series which is a group project and it's the movie bowfinger so everyone can go there and to see bowfinger minute and you get to hear every week a different group of hosts that you get a taste of the type of stuff that they do and and it turns out that that alan and i are actually doing one week together so you know anyone who wants to hear the two of us ramble on about things about how i can throw alan off uh off guard <laughs> you can go and hear us there also now, you and I haven't talked about this, so we'll do the show prep here live for our audience so they can eavesdrop. I was going to assume that because it's a group project rather than this being your project that I'm a guest on, that there'd be a chance for me to take the lead on a show. And of then course there would the lead be. And... Of course, okay. but, I'll still, but I'll still ask you, you know, well, what do you think about this? <laughs> just because you're taking the All lead. Right. One second, Alan, just because you take the lead, it doesn't mean that I can't ask questions. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I better buckle up and settle in. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be a bumpy ride. Rolling, rolling, rolling. <laughs> exactly. For those folks who remember yesterday's episode. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> no, but Alan, as 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 we've discussed in the past, then you know the our our work on Bowfinger will be fifty fifty. We're both equal partners in it. You know, uh, we'll, we'll each lead half of it. Which obviously we can't split five in half, but you know we'll we'll figure out a way to do it. That you know it's not my week, it's not your week, it's both of our weeks. You know, so don't worry about that. You know, I'll let you lead, and then I'll just throw you off course along the way. <laughs> I, I I that was more for uh, again to be a little fun with our audience, but yeah, yeah I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun for folks to come check out Bowfinger simply because just like all the movies by minutes. Um, mixer projects it is a sampler of so many different voices and styles across one movie yes for sure and we don't even get to choose the movie which which is also some of the fun of it because it's not a movie that it bowfinger is definitely not a movie i would have chosen on my own to to do just like silverado isn't one that i would have chosen to do either even though i love silverado but you know that was silverado was last season for anyone who's interested in you can go to silverado minute and listen to to those shows also where I was on a, a week with, uh, with, with, uh, my good friend T Todd Liebenau and Alan was, was also on, he was on the final week and mm -hmm. he did a great job on that one. I mean, well, if I, think, I can say so. Well, thank you. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, as I mentioned yesterday's episode, I have a thing for Westerns. I have a soft spot and to go back and dive into a Western, especially a fun one that had such a cool story I yeah I I loved it I personally loved it. The only thing that would be better is if we had done Tombstone, which is the single best western ever made. But you, but it's already been done, you know. So you get I the, know I you get the, the the Midnight Boys who who will actually be my guests next week. So you know, well, look at that. You get to hear you get to hear from them. We just walk into that. That's right. They'll they'll be here on Monday and Tuesday next week. They can only, they can only do two days, but uh, that'll that'll be fun. Be fun talking to them about that. So minute 29 begins with uh, Harry letting out the truth and ends with Marie making a very suspicious statement. So yesterday we ended things 
you know, we have, we have Jess and Harry sitting in the, the Giants game. You know, they're in the, the Meadowlands. They're, they're having mm-hmm. this conversation during the middle of a wave about Harry's telling about what happened between him and Helen. And he, he ends off by saying, I haven't told you the best bad. I haven't told you the bad part yet. And Jeff just says to him, <laughs> what can be worse than Mr. Zero knowing? And this minute begins with him saying, it's all a lie. She's in love with somebody else, some tax attorney. She moved in with him. How did you find out? I followed her. I stood outside the building. So humiliating. Tell me about it. And you know, I knew, I knew the whole time that even though we were happy, it was just an illusion. And that one day she would kick the shit out of me. Marriages don't break up on account of infidelity. It's just a symptom that something else is wrong. Oh, really? Well, that symptom is my wife. <laughs> and then the, the, the crowd cheers at that exact moment where, where they have another wave. You mm-hmm. know, so, you know, so we're going to break up this minute. We'll talk about uh, this, this part because then the scene changes. So we'll talk about the next scene afterwards. Um, first of all, I, I think it's – first of all, it shows that Billy Crystal is more than just a comedic actor. You know, he can give an emotional uh, speech, you know, where you can see that his character is very hurt, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, we know that this is Sunday and he said that, that everything happened, you know, over the last two days. And the fact that he waited to tell his best friend about it means that he was, you know, mulling over everything over the last day or two by himself. You know, he's finally reached the point where, you know, okay, I agreed to go with Jess to, to the Giants game so they can beat the crap out of the, the Lions, you know, so uh, I'll be able to talk to him in the middle of the game because, you know, there's nothing else to do there besides do the wave. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and and it also seems that Harry is finally confronting the truth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's ironic you say that because – I, I'm on a, a different radio show where we look at movies and nostalgia and we look at new movies versus old and new music versus old. And it's it, the guy who, who runs the show, we call it nostalgic geekiness, where uh, you kind of look back at the things that we remember doing when we were a lot younger. And we talked about how comedy is a, is not easy to do, period. I know a lot of times when you look at who gets the Academy Awards, it's always the really dramatic performance. But comedy is also very difficult to do well to understanding the timing understanding the delivery understanding what you're saying how to do it in a certain way and we have found that while there are a lot of really good dramatic actors it seems a lot harder for a dramatic actor to do comedy than it is for a comedic actor to be able to do drama and we think that when you look at where a lot of comedians come from and and they're interviewed or they talk about their comedy most comedy comes from a place of pain or hurt or past experiences, and the way they deal with it is through their comedy. And I think that's what makes people like the Robin Williams or the Billy Crystals uh, or the, even the Jim Carrey's are able to do very good dramatic work, even though they were first known as funny men. I wouldn't even say that they can do very good dramatic work. They can do amazing dramatic work. That's what it is. It's not even just you know on the surface. You know, Robin Williams, I, he, he, he was an amazing actor. He's, he always made me crack up in all of his, you know, comedy routines and everything like that. But the emotion that he was able to put into his dramatic roles, you know, can just make you want to cry. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he, oh, he was that good. I mean, Dead Poets Society, not many people would have been, not many comedians or not many, you know, not, not many dramatic actors could have given such an emotional, you know, performance there as he did. Mm-hmm. And it's something, not something you would have expected. You know, and he's just great in that movie. Um, there, there, there are other movies that Rob Williams also did, which, which he was also great in dramatic roles, but that one's the one that stands out for me. Um, one of the things I always loved was the, you've seen the movie Casino? Yeah. Okay. Did, did you know that there's, did you notice any comedic actors that are in Casino? Well, can you, for can me, you think of I, anybody? well, for me, I thought, I always thought of, cause I first met Joe Pesci as a comedic actor. I didn't know he was dramatic. Okay. All right. I wasn't referring to Joe Pesci there. Um, I was actually referring to Don Rickles. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Don right. Rickles I mean, is amazing in that movie. You know? And he is almost always playing a comedian. It's I don't know how yes. many roles. It's very few, I think, if any, outside of maybe Casino. I can't think of any where Don Rickles was kind of the straight man or the or the serious heavy. Correct. Which which is why that movie always stands out for me. At that, I mean, I know him from you know Kelly's Heroes. We know him from this dialogue in the Toy Story movies and stuff like that. But uh, no. I, I could just like you, I can't think of anything else that he did that was so dramatic than what he did in Casino. And and as you said, comedic actors are are, are able to do very dramatic roles and the opposite doesn't work. It's you know, you can't you'll never see Harrison Ford in a comedy. Right. You know, you see him in well, rom com but you've been see him in light in, in movies, a, but he's not the funny guy. Correct. Exactly. He's he's always the straight man when it comes to those things, for sure. So yeah, I I think they do a great job there with that. And uh, Billy Crystal really brings the emotion into this this scene with the mm-hmm. way that he does it. It you know, becomes we real. care about him. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And the, I mean the the fact that he you know he he's willing to even humiliate himself by following her. To, to find out what, you know, what's going on. You know, also mm-hmm. says something about that, that he wants his marriage to work. You know, I, I, we don't really know why, because they, they don't, they never give us any time with Helen and, and Harry together. You know, why we can see them and say, oh, wow, they're, they're such a happy couple. Everything is working well for them or whatever. We don't mm-hmm. know. But, you know, Harry wants it to work. Helen has right. already been sleeping with a tax attorney, so she doesn't really care. Right. <laughs> so I don't know. But so one of the things that, that this minute made me start thinking about is the, the whole idea of infidelity, you know, and like what is perhaps the infidelity rate in the U.S.? You know, like how um, often well, do these of all, type of things happen? How you've got to be awful honest with whoever's asking you that question to be able to get an accurate number. Correct. I, I, obviously, the, the information that I have, I didn't do the survey myself. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's a famous survey from from Kinsey, okay, that he surveyed 12,000 men and 6,000 women in the late 1940s and the early 50s, and he found that 50% of married men and 26% of married women had had affairs already. You know that they they wow. admitted to the fact that that they were unfaithful in the 40s and 50s, which is you know yeah. obviously a lot mm-hmm. more frowned upon at that time and generationally than today. That's right. And Playboy magazine 
1982 did a survey where they they uh, surveyed 100,000 people. Okay, what percentage of the men do you think uh, were willing to admit that they've had affairs? If it was 50% in the 40s and they're talking to Playboy, I'm going to go with something like 70%. Well, according to the, the, the information I have here, it's 48% only. Oh, okay, so it's stated um, about half. Okay. Exactly. Well, that okay, makes me women. actually feel better. <laughs> yes. But again, it's still 40 years from 40 years ago. So I'm, I'm assuming that the, the, the data today is a little different. And what I about have women? I think today with all of the apps and all of the social media and cell phones, it's probably a lot higher. Okay. Well, first of all, right now we're talking about 1982. We're not talking about today. So sure. 1982, what percentage of women do you think were willing women to Women in, in the 80s, I'll say 30%. Very close, 38%. Wow, that's and they still. and they claim that according to the survey that that married women under the age of thirty were more likely to have had affairs than married men of a similar age. Hmm. Okay, and one of the reasons that they they came across this is the reasons that men and women will have affairs, and they claim that they are completely different. Men will have a, a, an extramarital affair because they are usually unsatisfied sexually. Okay, I would believe that women. It's about just the excitement it's not about it's, the emotion it's the physical it's the physical aspects of it right. and women are unsatisfied emotionally and they're the one they're that's why they're they're looking for something more emotional mm-hmm. and that's why they're having affairs um m- most women uh, in these surveys they basically said that uh, their relationship dissatisfaction was the number one reason that they decided to to have an affair and men reported that it was a lack of communication, understanding, and sexual incompatibility was the reason for that. And you started getting into the idea as to why today things happen more. And it's basically because of the Internet. The numbers have, have uh, I, I don't have specific numbers, but the numbers have gone up because of the Internet, that there are like a lot of sex chat rooms, dating apps. And things like that. So people who are in committed relationships are more easily willing to, you know, engage in infidelity, infidelity on and off the internet. Because one of the biggest questions is, is if you're, if if you're, quote unquote, cheating on your spouse online, is that really considered infidelity or not? You know, people who are quote unquote having cyber sex, is that considered, you know, cheating or not? And they well, they, I would they argue... actually did a survey. Okay. They actually did a survey, and it says that that uh, um, that only a third of the people believe that that's cheating. <laughs> so I don't know. I would argue that if you broke it down by the sexes, men would say it's not because you're not physically there. Women would say it is, and that it's actually worse because you're getting emotionally involved with something. That if you just said, "Well, it was just about sex," I don't care about the person. That tends to be something they could swallow more easily than you put all this emotional investment into this fake person. That's worse. Right. That's true. That's true. And I'm assuming you knew this, but in uh, originally in every single one of the 50 states, it was a crime to commit adultery. Mm-hmm. Okay. As of today, that, that has changed. All right. Um, most states no longer – uh, first of all, all the countries in Europe uh, and Latin America have decriminalized adultery. Okay, 
in then you have the opposite in Africa and Asia, as particularly in the Middle East. You know, infidelity is something that is criminalized, and sometimes you can even uh, you know warrant the death penalty for for, for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, look, we just got done with the World Cup, and remember, there was a big thing about athletes and uh, and um, and uh, affairs that in in Qatar or Qatar, depending mm-hmm. on where you are, that right. uh, it could lead to imprisonment. That's right. Certainly, um, there are states that that if you if if you have proof that that one of the that the other side was unfaithful, it could have effect on. Uh, property settlements, custody of children, uh, alimony, things like that. Um, there are even states that allow the possibility of tort action uh, against third parties who are responsible for the failure of the marriage, meaning that that people can sue the person that, that your spouse was having an affair with. Okay, That's and there is actually, there's a case in 2010 where a woman in North Carolina won a $9 million suit against her husband's mistress. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, I know exactly. my state, my state is considered a no fault divorce state. And I know that because when I went through it the first time with my first uh, uh, foray into marriage, I was sitting there and I was talking to my attorney. He goes, oh, let me just, let me just stop you right here. He said, I charge $300 an hour. Now, if you want to spend that time going over what he said, she said, what happened, who said what, who did what, that's fine. It won't matter in court, and I'm willing to charge you for it. But if you want to get down to the details, let's start working on your case. <laughs> okay. that that That's very fair. That's very fair. I was like, um, oh, okay. So they don't really and, – and honestly, that blew me away. I assumed the judge would want to know, well, who's really at fault? State of Georgia, they're like, nah. As far as we're concerned, we're care. not into picking who's at fault. We just want to make sure that we do what's right for the kids or the division of assets. You guys, you're adults. You'll, we'll figure this out, but we don't care who's – we don't care. And honestly, it was true. They didn't care who did what. It's what's best for the to resolve the situation. Wow. That's really cool. That That's really cool that they, they look at it from that perspective. So do you know what the law is in Georgia about uh, adultery? How does Georgia look at adultery? Um, I don't – think there's i don't think there's anything against it if there is and it's on the books it's not been it's not something that ever gets enforced right it doesn't get enforced it is a misdemeanor in in georgia okay there there are five states where it is still a felony okay (laughs) okay i'm wondering if any of the states actually follow through on that that i that i couldn't tell you um the as of 2022, there are 16 states that is considered a criminal offense, either a felony or a misdemeanor, but prosecutions are very rare. Uh, Pennsylvania uh, abolished its laws in uh, in 1973, and in in this year, in or last year, in 2022, Idaho also uh, decriminalized the idea of adultery. Um, in Michigan, both of our, uh, you know, both, both of us grew up there. Um, it is actually a felony and you can go to jail for it up to five years. <laughs> really? <laughs> I would not have thought and, that about Michigan. 
Yeah, and in Maryland, I would have thought a... my state, Georgia, in the Bible Belt of the of the United States, would have been more apt to say it's a felony. Yeah, I, I would agree with you on that, but it doesn't. <laughs> wow. So, in Maryland, it's a ten dollar fine. <laughs> it I costs you more to rent a motel room than it does the fine. <laughs> in in Rhode Island, it's five hundred dollars. In in uh, Oklahoma, it's a five years in prison, and Michigan, it's four years in prison. But you know, as we said, these are not things that are uh, that are really enforced because right. you know I don't think the courts have that much time to deal with all these things. Well, especially if it's at least at fifty plus percent forty years ago, that that would take up a lot of the court docket. Yes, for sure. <laughs> um, in colonial colonial America. The laws against adultery were very harsh, right? And it is actually known of at least one case where there was an execution because of adultery. In uh, Massachusetts in 1643, there was a married 18-year-old woman named Mary Latham who she and her lover, James Britton, or Britton, were, were both executed for the fact that they had had an affair. Mm. So it's, it's, I guess it's a timeless thing. <laughs> well, there's always been that that tenuous line of government or lawmakers trying to become morality police. Yes. You know, there, there is some merit to it, but it's a question of where's where's that line? Where's Where that line? And it seems to always be shifting. Yes. And it shifts back and forth. You know, so. I would say, yeah, exactly. So then the, the scene changes. And we're we're no longer in giant in the Meadowlands. We won't be coming back to the Meadowlands uh, for the rest of the movie. <laughs> and now we are in a bookstore. And then we we see Sally and her friend Marie, you know Princess Leia. Mm -hmm. And Marie starts talking. And she says, "So I just happened to see his American Express bill." What do you mean you just happened to see it? Well, he was shaving, and there it was in his briefcase. What if he came out and saw you looking through his briefcase? You're missing the point. I'm telling you what I found. He just spent $120 on his new on a new nightgown for his wife. <laughs> I mean, Marie is just she's crazy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she's 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 a great character here. There's no question about it. She always, you know, makes me laugh with all of everything that she talks about. You know, the way that she's completely in denial at this stage of, of the movie with everything that's going on. And, um, and once again, it's a trope, but it exists because it's real. I, the number of people in my circle that I've been around this many years on this planet who end up hooking up with a married person because they swore to them they were going to get divorced, they were going to separate, they were going to leave, and so they just – and then you realize they're just being played, that it's just to kind of buy their silence and to continue to find a, an outlet, but it's not – more often than not, the, quote, married person isn't really looking to leave. They're just looking to keep that other third person on the hook. That's correct. Yeah. So the, the two of them are, are in this bookstore. Uh, do you know what bookstore – did you notice what bookstore it is? Well, I saw a picture of Shakespeare on the window, but I couldn't see what the, the name of the store was. Okay, so the name of the store is Shakespeare & Co. Bookstore. Okay. Okay, they, this particular branch uh, closed down a few years later. It closed down in 1996. So this it was is, a real store. I didn't know there was such a This is a real chain. store that is located on uh, – or was located 
on Broadway and 81st Street in, in Manhattan. Um, and then a Barnes and Noble opened up nearby and therefore they, they closed it down eventually, <laughs> which, which basically gave Nora Ephron the idea to, to write, you've got mail because that's more or less what, what it is that we're talking about. You know, you have a small little bookstore that, mm -hmm. uh, that gets, uh, closed down or that, that starts having problems because a big chain moves, moves in nearby. Interesting. There are. There are currently two other locations of Shakespeare and Co. that that haven't closed down in New York. You have one on Lexington and one on Broadway, and they even have one in uh, Philadelphia. There's a location there. Well, I had but no what, idea this was a legitimate bookstore. I thought it was just a it was this big decal of Shakespeare <laughs> just to kind of reference a literary character. But that's kind of cool to know. Uh, obviously, yeah. they weren't in my neck of the woods, either in Michigan or Georgia. So, um, right. Me but, neither. I, I, again, I looked it up. It wasn't, it wasn't a question of knowing that they had been there. You know, and I mean, first of all, I love the fact that they are walking around. Uh, I guess it's the self, self-help uh, area because you can see a lot of the names of the books. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know, women, men love, women, men leave. <laughs> Don't stop now. You're killing me. I love you. Um, let's work it out. <laughs> and then there's another book that we can actually see twice that says making life right when it feels all wrong. Now, I have to ask if you did this because I did not. I yes, just I did. assumed yes, I did. these are all fake books. These are real books. Really? Tomorrow we will uh, tomorrow we will go into some of the books that 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 uh, that are there, and I will okay. give some information about the books. I just assume you know how again my my background being involved in film and film production for a little bit of my life. A lot of times, if you don't want to pay somebody a royalty or for whatever, or if they're p paying you for product placement, then you see the actual product. I just assumed for the for the humor of the movie that these were all just created as props. That's amazing uh, nope. that they were real. These are real books, and I'm assuming that this was Nora Ephron's way of trying to publicize Shakespeare and Co. You know, it, it, did, it did stick around for another seven years. But the thing that really blew my mind about Shakespeare and Co. is, is that it didn't originate in New York. This is actually a chain of uh, a book a bookstore chain that started in France. Huh. Okay, and it it's something that 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 it was founded by in Paris by a woman named Sylvia Beach in 1919, and she was the person. Her bookstore was the the bookstore that that published James Joyce's Ulysses in 1922. And that store stayed open till 1941. Uh, it was closed down by the Nazis when they, when <laughs> they, uh, you know, when they took over Paris. When they burned but, everything. Yeah. But her, her story was known or her, her bookstore was known for a place where, uh, Ezra Pound, Ernest Hemingway, um, James Joyce, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Gertrude Stein, uh, and a whole bunch of other famous, uh, you know, writers of the time that were living in Paris, they would get together and, you know, talk about things in her store. And in this so, bookstore. That is such a cool thing. I mean, we don't really have that anymore. 
At least I don't think so. Not to the degree of back then, but that, to have that many renowned literary figures meeting is amazing. Correct. I mean, these aren't just and, dime store novelists or romance. These are literary giants. Yes. Completely. And then uh, a few years after World War II, someone else opened up a, a bookstore uh, also in in uh, in the area, a man named George Whitman, and he f- called his store the uh, – it was called Le Mistral. And in 1964, it was actually renamed as Shakespeare and Company. <laughs> it was a tribute to Sylvia Beach's store. Um, it was, I think, right after she passed away. And it was also the 400th anniversary of, of Shakespeare's birth. So that they decided to, to you know, to, to, to change the name of the store. The store is apparently still standing today. You know, it opened up in 1951 and, you know, in 2023, it's it's still there. No, that's um, pretty cool. That they, that's they apparently they apparently have beds there that are tucked in between the bookshelves, and over thirty thousand people have slept there over the course of the last seventy years. I guess just to say they did. Um, I guess so. Yeah. The shop's motto is "Be not inhospitable to strangers, lest they be angels in disguise." Hmm. So I, I think that works really well. So there, there are a few movies that actually feature uh, the the original uh, or the one in, in Paris. Um, you can see it in uh, Before Sunset, you know, Richard uh, Linklater's film. When the two of them are walking around Paris. You know, I'll, Julie defer your, and, uh, I'll defer to your expertise. I've never seen that. Okay. Um, in Nora Ephron's Julia, Julie, Julie and Julia, it also appears uh, for obvious reasons because Nora Ephron is is a fan. Um, and Woody Allen's Midnight in Paris features mm-hmm. the original Shakespeare and Co. Very cool. Yes, I I, I found that to be very interesting. All of those, mm-hmm. all of those little things about that. But uh, I mean, I let, let's go back to the dialogue a little bit here. I I love the fact that on the one hand, Sally is supportive of Marie, even though she knows she's completely nuts. You know, <laughs> she's showing that she's a good friend, mm-hmm. even though she she's constantly telling. Marie to get out of this relationship, but she's not forcing her in any way, shape, or form to do so. She's just saying to her, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you going through his briefcase? You know. Yeah. No, it, it's a great dynamic that exists, and it's not just early in the movie. It's throughout the whole film, and you have a flawed female character who's lying to herself about this guy and being with this married person, but she's not a bad person or at least we don't we never think of her as a bad person you we just she's been lied to by him and she wants to believe him and so they do it in such a way that you don't think of her as the homewrecker you know you never Correct. i never thought of her as a bad person you just you almost feel like uh you know Meg Ryan's character you almost feel like just come on wake up i mean i don't want to see you get hurt <laughs> exactly and I mean, just to skip ahead a little bit in the movie, I mean, we're not there, and we'll, we'll only be there in a few weeks from now. But the the whole idea that you know, there's this, you know, she's talking about the fact that she's in this this relationship, and then suddenly, you know, Sally 
takes her on a on a double date with her. You know, they don't really explain anything about that, you know, whether she broke up with him or, you know, why it was so easy for her to agree to go out on a double date if she thinks that she's in a relationship. Mm. You know, that type of thing. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. We we have I have well, a few weeks till I get <laughs> maybe they both have the agreement they can date. <laughs> well apparently he does. Well, he does for sure. <laughs> Especially since he's he's buying nightgowns for his wife, uh-huh. you know, and and sixteen hundred dollar tables. So, don't know, don't know. Do you have any, so that's all I have for this minute. Do you have anything else for this minute before we get into the script? No, I I you you stole the thing that I, I wanted, and we talked about it kind of in passing, and we'll talk then I guess in detail tomorrow. I literally thought with all of these book covers specifically fronted out for us in this camera shot, specifically putting. Carrie Fisher behind it, Meg Ryan to the right of it. I was like, these have got to all be like secret Easter egg fake books that have messages or comedic things for us to see in the audience. But I'm now dying to hear what what these books really are. Do you see? I've hooked you to come back tomorrow. And hopefully we've hooked the audience to come back because I I got to find out. Right. Okay. And and you shall. You shall. So the, the script, there are a few extra lines in here, which I can understand why they took them out, but I still want to go through them. So when Jess says to, to Harry, Harry, that's so humiliating. So Harry says, tell me, standing on the street, the ultimate schmuck. I knew it would happen. The whole time I, I knew, even though we were happy, it was just an illusion. And that one day she'd kick the <laughs> shit out of me. You know, that, that, you know, that, but adding that one little line in there, it, it, doesn't really help that much so i'm glad that they actually cut that out and then you know the this in the movie it ends with the fact that that uh you know the wave comes through and they stand up and then they sit back down and that that is it and then jess has another line and he goes well at least you got the apartment and then it says harry just looks at him coldly jess says to him what (laughs) what 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 did i do wrong what it's a good thing right yeah, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and then they they have the description of of the store that they're in, Shakespeare and Co. Co. It says Sally and Marie standing in the bookstore in a section called Personal Relationships, a shelf full of books. Marie is looking at something like Smart Women, Foolish Choices. Sally is looking at something like Safe Sex in Dangerous Times. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> they made up some names of of books just for the script, but in the movie itself. They used some real ones. Wow. So every Thursday we have a segment called Off the Beaten Track, Courting Dating Edition, where my guests will give some sort of adventure, misadventure, story, anecdote, or something that happened to them along the way of life that's related to either dating or courting. So, Alan, do you have a story for us? Oh, yeah. Uh, if you remember on Tuesday, uh, we were talking about uh, marriage and uh, about you know me and Susan, the first time we decided we were going to escalate our friendship. And I said, well, I would save the the married piece for the the Thursday. So the two of us having had failed first marriages or maybe failed is the wrong word, but it didn't work out. And that's we both felt like, you know what, we had invested so much. We had spent so much. We had spent time. We were we both had two kids. She went through her divorce, got custody of her kids in a very weird, strange turn of of, 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 of events. I got custody of my girls. So those two girls were with me the majority of the time. Her two girls were with her much the majority of the time. We started hanging out, and as I mentioned, we decided we were taking it further. But we decided there was no reason we needed to get married again. There was absolutely no reason 
we were like, it failed the first time. And, you know, there's no guarantee that just because you say I do, that it doesn't turn into, well, I no longer want to. So right. we say, well, we'll just live together. And we can still bring our kids together. We can still, I mean, we're, we're the best of friends. The kids love each other. We love hanging out together. Let's screw it. However, we had to have one little tiny conversation because much like we talked about earlier with certain states, with certain laws, with fidelity and infidelity and whatever, um, Georgia being in the South still sort of had some traditional things in the court system. One of those being the morality clause. And this is designed for parents who divorce with children. It's to stop a mom or a dad from sleeping around in front of the kids. It, it's really what it's for. It's to keep you from okay. having a member of the opposite sex in your home past midnight. The idea being, I guess you wouldn't have uh, carnal knowledge of another member of the opposite sex unless it was after midnight. I don't know. But that's the rule is that you can't have a member, a female who is not family in your house when you have the kids past midnight. Well, okay. if you're living together, you're going to be around one another past midnight. Mm, now, I assume. my wife was smart. She actually did not agree to a morality clause, so she didn't have one in her divorce decree. I never thought about it. I just was like, hey, I won the kids. I don't care. All of a sudden, I was like, okay, so we got to have this conversation, Zeus. We both agree we're not interested in ever getting married again. We both got bit. We have no desire to ever go through the, the cost, the expense, the rental. The, but we do have to have a contingency. And she's like, what do you mean? I said, what happens if my ex decides to go bananas because you and I have been found out to be living together? She goes, well, then we'll just go to the justice of the peace and we'll pay our $75, and we'll never speak of it again. Dude, <laughs> on a Mother's Day in May, we got I got the phone call from my ex, and it started off with, you screwed up bad, buddy. I'm getting my kids back. I know you're living with her. I was like, well, you, uh, you, you go for it. And I said, uh, we already have plans. We're going to get married. And she's like, well, I'm going to still take you to court. I'm like, you can do that. You do that. You do what you have to. Hung up the phone. I went to Sue's right that second. We were at my mom and dad's house for a Mother's Day dinner. And I said, well, guess what we're doing tomorrow? And she goes, you got the call, didn't you? I'm like, yep. We literally <laughs> the next day, and because I knew people in the court system, fast-tracked, went straight to the, the courthouse, got the marriage license, got the judge to sign off on it, then went down to the probate court where they were going to have a judge perform the ceremony, but we realized we needed two witnesses. So it was at lunchtime. My wife called – well, I get my wife now. My fiancé then, Susan, called back to her office and goes, I need two people to come meet us <laughs> at the courthouse. <laughs> they were our witnesses. I think I put a rubber band as a ring around her finger for the time of exchange of rings, and – we got married, and we put the little license. You should have asked your ex to be one of the witnesses. No, 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 because she lived in a different state. I didn't want her anywhere around. <laughs> the funny part was we didn't even tell anybody for probably a couple of years, and then finally it came out that we were married, married, that we literally tied the knot. They're like, you didn't do it at a church? You didn't have a ceremony? You didn't have a photographer? We're like, you know what? That's all wasted money. We've got kids. We've got spot soccer. we got sports. we got all these bills. No, but you know what? 
We are married, both of us, longer than we were to our first spouses. We are happier than we ever were with our first spouses, and it cost $75, the same $75 we had to pay for the first time around for a marriage license, but without the other eight or ten or $20,000 of all the other expenses. Wow. That is a great story. Thank you very and we much are, for that. And we are just as married today as we were the first time around, and hopefully we will – this is it. We Neither one of us wants to go anywhere. Just uh, be be careful, Mister Zero doesn't show up. Yeah, if if, if Mister Zero <laughs> shows up, I'm just gonna hang my head. <laughs> just like, I'm done. <laughs> All right. So you wanna once again tell people how they can find Alan Sanders? Sure. Uh, if you want to reach out to me directly, which is, could be a lot of fun, uh, I'm on all the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, Truth Social. Just look for The Alan Sanders Show. Uh, my buddy Walt and I, Walt Murray, we did a Movies by Minutes show called The Wilder Ride, looking at movies of Gene Wilder. The first season was Young Frankenstein. The second season was Blazing Saddles. COVID hit, and so we decided to change it to a remote Zoom kind of interview show where we did guest interviews, turned it more into a talk show. And then uh, it spun off for me to do a show with my wife called The Marriage Fit Podcast, where we tell some of the same stories like I just told about us getting married. And then I also do a daily digital um, news talk show about current events, much more news talk oriented called The Alan Sanders Show. All right. Great. And finding me is very simple. Just do a quick search for Movie Around Minute. You can find me on my website, movieroundminute.com. You can find me on Facebook and you can find me on Twitter. So Alan, you know, uh, maybe, maybe I won't have you. No, 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 no. You cannot do that to me. Not when we talked about the book covers. No, sir. I demand satisfaction, sir. Okay. Then then you shall have that. So, so we'll, so Alan, we'll be back tomorrow. Thank you. I'll slip you the 50 under the door. There you go. So until tomorrow, I'll have what she's having. I'll have what she's having. Gave me a thrill. With all your faults, I love you still. It had to be you, wonderful you, had to be you.